you will let three years and like dozens of omnibus pile up and then not pick them up for me if i order something it could be like the smallest thing i'm like running to the fucking mailbox to get like the day it's like, <laughs> supposed to be there i don't think like, it's the omnibuses though i think i'm just addicted to spending money like, okay. that's the problem. so to me the excitement's clicking by and then i just go back to bed you know look at tits on the internet <laughs> <laughs> you know get the excitement out of my system and then forget about it Hello and welcome everybody to the latest episode of the um, podcast and this week we are talking about the latest entry into the MCU, Ant-Man and Wasp, Quantum Mania. I am your host Matt, well co-host should i say and you can find the end pod if you're watching this on youtube you can find us on spotify apple Podcasts, and all your favorite listening locations if you're on one of our favorite listening locations you can go to youtube and follow us there because we do upload bonus stuff it's pretty good actually you know it's a little bit of something for everybody youtube's doing really well at the minute so thanks for everybody who's joined us recently it's very much appreciated finally it's nice to be appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the end underscore pod on most locations. If you're looking for us on YouTube, it's the end pod one shots. If you are trying to search on listening location, then you might have to tag Spank Media onto that because, you know, I came up with the name and then I didn't realize how exhaustively familiar it was so you know <laughs> blame me for the lack of listens tim and speaking of tim <laughs> as always it's my wonderful and most beautiful co-host tim the little chuckle monster in the background <laughs> I, I, I can't help it you're you're making me laugh right now that was very funny um i'm doing i'm doing all right how was your week this week have a good week? um well basically it's been really busy but pleasantly yeah. busy do you know when you just feel like you're on top However, it's my birthday, not this weekend, the weekend afterwards. I'm not going to say how old I am, but let's just say it's not something that makes me feel any better about myself. (laughs) (laughs) So um, next week, I've I've got a couple of weeks off because I um, I've keep on buying collected editions. So one of the buses, oversized deluxe editions, library editions for the indies. And I don't have the space, but with, um, not FOMO, because it's, it is a bit better now, because I looked and you can still get the, the Connick Captain Marvel and the Priest Black Panther on Amazon. Uh-huh. Seems like caution has been applied to it, and it's not out of print before it's even sold out and hit the shelves. However, uh-huh. I've got about 40 collected editions to pick up, and they've gone, look, we've got three full wholesale boxes of omnibuses here for you. And it's been, kind of been like two, maybe three years. It's time. <laughs> it's just time when i do pick them up i'll do a biggest haul ever youtube video so you'll all be able That's to awesome. see what i think it's so funny that you will let like, three years and like dozens of omnibus pile up and then not pick them up 
for me, if I order something, it could be like the smallest thing. I'm like running to the fucking mailbox to get like the day it's like, <laughs> supposed <laughs> to be there. I don't think like, it's the omnibuses though. I think I'm just addicted to spending money. Like, okay. That's the problem. So to me, the excitement's clicking by. And then I just go back to bed, you know, look at tits on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, get the excitement out of my system and then forget about it. <laughs> so, the thing was, I don't have anywhere to put them. Po- paid postage and just went pick up in store. And then just let them amount. Because what they're going to do, I mean, at that point, they're not going to give me, um, say if there's 30 of them, like, what, they 100 quid each? Like, they're not going to refund me, like. Like they're just like, okay, <laughs> but to be fair, they're really nice people. And with the complications of moving further north, I mean, they're in Bedfordshire, which is just above like the home counties around London. So yeah. I've gone basically another third of the country up, and instead of it being a two hour journey, two hours back to Leicester, it's now like four and a half there, four and a half back. Oh, wow. Okay. So, uh, so what have you been up to? You got anything to add to that? Uh, I don't know, nothing much, just, you know, work and being bored, basically, with my oh, work. Yeah, you know, it's not that interesting. And Living the life. Oh, yeah, I got, a, got my family, you know, doing stuff. I'm going to, I'm taking my son, who's three, to a Celtics game uh, next month. They, oh, they travel here to Salt Lake great. City. So we're going to go see the, the green team. So that'd be exciting. So I got yes. lots to look forward to. Well, here we go. We've made a decision behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, baby, behind the magician's curtain, we had a little conversation and we've decided that now we're caught up, we're back on track, we're releasing episodes regularly. After the Oscars, the temptation would to, to go back to the episodic season one, two, three sort of thing. However, so <laughs> me and Sam have had a conversation, let's just put it that way. And what we decided was we like doing the breakdowns, we like watching a film, we like doing a focus on one thing. If anything massive happens... And we're keeping up with the regular episodes and we can always dedicate time to it. But what is probably hard to imagine in those episodes, when we're doing the episodic format, you're basically scratching around until probably even Thursday or Friday to have enough things to talk about. And sometimes by then, the things you want to talk about are out of the cycle. And really, we didn't really have that good of feedback on the individual shorts on YouTube for one reason. Like I said, by the time we taped and edited, the things could be a week, a week past the sell-by date. And it was the most labor, let's say not labored, but it was the thing that felt like work. What we love doing is these breakdowns, the focus. Let's like we just uploaded the killing joke to YouTube. And editing that, it made me realize how good, even with the big cast, how at least I feel that that's where we're strongest. So we're going to ditch the legacy numbering as well. And from this point forward, we're just going to have the end episode, whatnot. And it's just going to be a continuous flow of focuses and breakdowns. And yeah, just the things that we really like doing. Sometimes it's going to be films. Sometimes yeah. it might be a TV series. Sometimes it will be comics. Sometimes it might be both. But we like to keep the mix of the indie stuff that we want to get you guys into that you may not know about. And also the tentpole stuff, because obviously there's no point if standing on a roof shouting it to our neighbors we want to get we really want to grow the platform now i was going to say we but now i have a level of consistency that's been allowed by everything that isn't the podcast so <laughs> yeah I, I think people people don't know but we have 
un, sort of unusual jobs where it could be like with the episodic format, what can happen is because of our weird hours and stuff, you could have something happen in a week. You just cannot get it together, have like a haphazard episode. Whereas in this format, we get to plan ahead. And so we can dig in on something and talk about it weeks down the road. If we have a week like that at work, that doesn't really matter. And we actually have a schedule now where each week we know what we're going to be doing. We have the, the key pop culture moments, the big films, so stuff like John Wick, uh, all the Marvel stuff. We're also going to be running through, also going to be running through all the comics that inspired James Gunn's DC slates, The Authority, All-Star Superman, Tom King, Supergirl. We're going to be running through the whole of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, the whole of Grant Morrison's Batman. And we're really excited about that. That's going to be one a month, so it gives us enough time to prepare, to read. And that's what it comes down to again. We'll be having guest appearances from Tara, Joe, and Brian. So it's going to be cool. It's going to be the extended cast again, but we're going to keep it nice and tidy. Not like the rabble we were in the first instance. <laughs> oh, and best, best movie, worst movie's coming back with Shane. Oh, um, no, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all exciting. But you ain't come here to hear how excited I am. It's like... <laughs> because you scoundrels you ain't got no class all you do is you listen to a few minutes and then you fuck us off i'm telling you now i'm telling you now on youtube analytics on all the analytics for the podcast all the different platforms we are like 70 to 80 percent new listeners every time so first of all shout out to the guy in australia that listens to us every week shout out to the guy in lahore shout out to the guy in brussels if you really do exist and you're not just someone in America listening through a VPN. <laughs> Can you imagine if that was he who shall not be named way of listening to the podcast without us knowing? I've got your number, you fucker. <laughs> Can you imagine? So, oh, come on, guys. Come on. I need you tonight. Tim, Tim here is bleary-eyed. Tell him, Tim, tell him what you did. Guys, 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 I work all day, okay, on Friday. I come home, I make my kids dinner. I fuck around with them. I put them to bed. It's already like 10 p.m. Then I have to go and clean all the dishes. Then I'm in bed by like, at best, 11.30 p.m. Then I'm up at 6 a.m. 6 a.m. 6 a.m. to hang 6 out 6 a.m. For all you fuckers' benefits. So give us, <laughs> give us a little, just click the button, bitch. You click it. Follow us. And, uh, and even worse than Tim, because Tim's got to get out of bed some point. And he's got to. All we're doing is give him a bigger Saturday. Me, this is two <laughs> in the afternoon. Can you imagine every Saturday in the prime hours of a Saturday? I could be out dancing and womanizing between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. But no, I'm here recording prestige premium content for you ungrateful cunts. <laughs> Click subscribe. If that diatribe is not enough for you to click subscribe, then then just keep listening to the end. We could use the retention. <laughs> <laughs> but please like, please follow. Oh my god! All right, without going into this any further, uh, without any further favor, what we're on today is Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum <laughs> Mania. So, first thoughts. Um, uh, my first thoughts were. I missed the whole of the second act where I believe, well, I believe, <laughs> it all is to be believed. 
Scott was sent into the machine to try and fix it. And I actually volunteered myself to sleep, not like in Eternals, not like in <laughs> Love and Thunder, not like in Shang-Chi, where I nodded off and then woke up with a start. I actually thought if I'm going to have to have a nap, this is probably the time to do it. So I pulled my knees up to my chest in a fairly uncomfortable cinema seat. And I turned to one side and I pulled my, my fisherman's beanie just above my eye so no one could tell that I was having a nap. Because I just thought they've done it again. Whereas that means something very different post-Infinity War. Pre-Infinity War, they've done it again. Now they've done it again. Initial thoughts, Tim. My initial thoughts are that unplanned intro we just did was much more entertaining than Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> and uh, uh, I likewise, like I took my kid to it because she wanted to, so my daughter's six and I took her to see it. It's yeah, probably, yeah. And she said it was a little too intense, but yeah, she wanted yeah. to see a movie in 3D. So I was like, well, I got to see this. Mm-hmm. And you want to see a 3D movie, so let's just go. So I also nodded off at times. I hope we didn't f- fucking sleep through the same parts. We don't know what happened. The entire of the second act. And you know what? It made no difference. I fell asleep when they needed something. I woke up when they had it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It, the formula, yeah. Okay, so I thought it was fine. It's disappointing insofar as it's alleged launch of Phase 5. So I wanted, I don't know, something more. It was fine. It was just yet another fine installment in the NCO that we had uh, so many of since Endgame. So taking the style and the substance apart, so taking the the plot, the characters to one side at the minute, this was a film that was unwatchably dark to the point where it made me angry. The opening dark scene, and I thought, this is the same shit as Black Panther. However, I thought, wait till we get the first full colour scene. And it came up and it was like looking at a rainy day from the passenger seats of a of an old car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Visually apart from that, for something that's supposed to be a dimension in its entirety, it all felt very boxed. You never felt that there was anything over the hill. You never felt the depth of the soundstage. And that's one thing that Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one did. When you had, was it the Benatar at that point? Or was it um, whatever the first iteration of the the Guardian ship is? It felt like it was vast Mm -hmm. and it was deep. The, The stars in the background felt they were light years away. It felt like you could touch everything if you stretched hard enough. So that was entirely disappointing. And... For all the weirdness, it didn't lean into it. It was very, everything was still anthropomorphic. Mm -hmm. You can't tell me that this is a whole dimension. And I know there was that one silly little character, the pink one that looked like Herman Glob without the skeleton, that basically everything was just very convenient like that. It all felt very CGI. It wasn't very believable. And you have Paul, Paul Rudd, So Scott Lang being introduced into this, with in mind that Janet Van Dyne's been there for a while, his daughter was there before him, they're they're dealing with Kat. And everybody's like, oh, who's this weirdo? Well, you've you've encountered weirdos like this before. And also, every third creature in this dimension is anthropomorphic. So why would it be any shock to them? Just silly. Yeah, yeah. Add to that, like one of my critiques of it is not even so much the way that the backgrounds looked, although I think it looks like a screensaver. It's more that, it's not even believable to the audience. I don't even think the the characters or the actors believe it either. They're no. so nonplussed by everything. Like everything's like, oh well, look at that weirdo, dum de dum, on we go. Like if I were in that situation, I'd be like, what in the fuck? I'd be having a panic attack. 
yeah. like like what in the fuck is going on here and they're just like well got a mission got to get back to, to, to whatever and not yeah. crazy at all when you look at phase one you bought into it being a world uh not too unlike our own with one critical thing that changed and i know that's easier said than done when you only have four characters to to deal with however there's always been the critique that it's expanded too quickly every street corner now has a superhero on it it's a thing where like well if this doesn't happen then we don't have a film or if common yeah, sense right. prevail, we don't have a film so there always has to be that little bit of suspension of disbelief however when iron man was building it with a box of scraps in a cave <laughs> you believed it yeah. you believed the hero's journey in iron man one iron man two there was a new challenge whereby he was having to deal with the ramifications of him being Iron Man. And I, I, just, I still think, I mean, if you put Iron Man 2 in this phase, it would be, or in the last one or two, it would probably be the outstanding film for me because it would have just played to its roots of what the MCU was set up to do. But yeah, it just feels like there's a whole crop of films whereby it's founded in disbelief as opposed to any individual thing needed to being suspended, whereby... All the other rules have to stay the same, but this is the one thing I need you to believe in that's the crux of the film. And that works through across genres, whether it's horror, there's a boogeyman, whether it's sci-fi film, there's this one expansion of a scientific, unproven theory or high-level concept. But this mm -hmm. is just entirely yeah. disbelievable. And I think that's where it differs so much. Yeah, no, I agree. There's too many variables that, that they're attacking at once. And so it just becomes not very believable. I did think there was some, there was vision. Like, I think there was creative vision in the, the world building, but it just doesn't carry off on the screen. And, and I'm, I'm coming to a point where I'm having these mixed emotions about these movies where I walk in and I, I have hopes, but my hopes are much dimmer than they used to be, you know? I feel like almost guilty about it. I owe the MCU something. I owe them my adoration. And when they don't carry it off, I feel like I've let them down. It's very, comp it's like a weird abusive relationship honestly yeah yeah it's almost like a codependency sort of thing and yeah and it feels like it's lost it's magic i mean john campier said that earlier in the week and he's sort of requoted himself at every given opportunity but it's a, it's a valid and it's the most accurate way of i've heard it being described explained that before it was absolutely on fire Every single one. When you look at probably from Winter Soldier to Civil War, maybe even onwards, mm -hmm. it was sure thing fire. Mm -hmm. And everyone's going to have a film in this period, post-Endgame, they like. The only thing is, it's not indisputable anymore. It's not that some of them aren't loved by some people, because there always will be. However, it's not indisputable anymore. It's all up for debate. And I really wanted to like this one too. Like I really wanted I to love this really one. Like, I love Ant Man. I, I love the first two. A, a little bit under the radar as far as like the the MCU tentpole movies are concerned. Like he's a smaller character. These were released in like these weird interstitial periods. Ant Man two came up between Infinity War and Endgame, right? So it was in that little period. It did, yeah. Uh, and I always thought there was like sort of like a rah rah attitude towards this. It's, it's like the little engine that could the Ant Man movie. Which is so yeah, funny to talk yeah. about a two hundred million dollar budget or whatever, but I really wanted to like this because I do think like Paul Rudd can carry a movie like this. He's done it before. He was a great addition to 
Infinity War, or excuse me, Endgame, I was rooting for this one. And I just felt like, ugh, just, ugh, come on. I mean, and this comes into the, the characters, it's something that I, that I was incredibly frustrated with. That in the first Ant-Man, he's a smart guy. He's an engineer and was a whistleblower for a huge business that was cheating its customers and not giving them refunds or whatever the fuck, it, whatever it was. And he's somebody that manages to do a very precise and astute home invasion, thinking on his feet, mm-hmm. works around the security system. But then he was turned into a little bit of a the comic relief to everything. And yeah, while, like a fool. Yeah, yeah, a fool. You can have somebody that's funny, maybe a little bit nervous, maybe a little bit socially awkward, but you can still maintain how smart they are. It felt like the funny moments and the serious moments were competing, and I don't think either of them won. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good observation. I didn't really notice that. I like that's interesting. I see it now that you mention it. Yeah, I think that's something that. Typically, the MCU did well. You know, that tragedy, levity, balance mm-hmm. that they've been really, really successful with. And I think this just mis- completely misunderstood what the MCU does. And I want to bring into that Jeff Loveness as a writer, because he's been heavily criticised. And also, the guy that wrote oh, Multiverse of Madness is going to... Mm-hmm. They're, they're the two guys that are writing the two big Avengers films at the end of it. Uh, Kang, Kang War and Secret Wars, or Kang Dynasty, whatever it is. But this, to me, isn't a Jeff Loveness problem. He wrote the best episodes of Rick and Morty for the, the past two seasons, without question for me. His were the outstanding episodes. What, one very lazy critique of what Jeff Loveness did was, oh, you can just see how he's tried to make this Rick and Morty. No, 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 no. This is Jeff Loveness, and this is what Rick and Morty saw to bring him in. The coincidental mm-hmm. part is Jeff Loveness. His comic, the the Nova run he did is absolutely small run he did, like a little fill-in, 6 to 12 uh, issues, however long it was. Absolutely outstanding. He did a comic called Judas, <laughs> whereby it had uh, Judas after, you know, he felt very guilty for taking the, the pieces of silver and he, he hung himself, didn't he? And it was the journey to that, be asking God with a capital G, how can you do this to me? What is my purpose to us? How can this be a purpose? Mm. Like, what is it you meant for me? What it ended up being was when he goes to hell that he has, if anybody wants to read it, it's absolutely fantastic. And in actual fact, I think you can vis-a-vis Judas's journey into hell very much like Scott Lang's journey into the quantum realm. Like they're, they're not beat for beat, but there is very powerful symmetry between the two titles. Mm. He is a brilliant writer, He's shown that on the page, on the small screen. I cannot, I cannot accept that this is a Jeff Loveness problem. I think he probably had a, a script and then he had to fit in the Marvel beats. Mm-hmm. And while the humour was ill-judged, he's not a comedic writer. He has an observational wit about him, but I don't think, I think it was probably, I'm not saying interference, but I think the the mandated balance between what he was naturally writing to fit in with this. If all these calls to replace him are accurate, then it's not Jeff Loveness that's going to be appointing the next guy. It's the guys that appointed Jeff Loveness. Mm-hmm. So who's to say you, you're going to be better off anywhere else? Also, they've made their mistake. Let's not provide opportunity for a second mistake. You can fine-tune what you have. Let's not get another piece of rock to, to chisel. Yeah. And also people have to realize 
Christopher Yost, again, started off with Marvel Animation. He did Earth Mightiest Heroes. He did Wolverine and the X-Men, X-Men Evolution. Hi, it's post-production, Matt. Just a little, a very small pointer that Christopher Yost, actually, in his X-Men Evolution run in the animated series, he created X-23, Laura Kinney, who has also obviously gone on to be a prominent character in the comics and also in film. All right, tiddly. He was in control of Marvel Animation when it was at its absolute peak. Like both of those X-Men series are better than the 90s ones. Really, really good long form, wit, dramatic, this sense of irony that comes with that and not sarcasm. Sarcasm is one thing, irony is another. Don't get me confused, it annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also... Phlegmatic and pragmatic, different words. Look them up. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you uh, also use and utilize are not synonyms. Figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> you fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I just yeah, Christopher Yo, sorry. And then he went on to he did a great Scarlet Spider run. Uh, he's he's just a very very skilled writer. Now, let's just go for what the populist opinion is. He wrote the screenplay for Dark World, but then he went on to write the screenplay for Ragnarok. So that wasn't a Chris Yost, a Christopher Yost problem. That mm-hmm. was a Dark World problem. Mm-hmm. We don't need to chuck the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, yeah. Is this an issue of like, what explains it? Is it Feige doesn't have oversight? Is he spread too thin? Is it fatigue? Or do we just miss the newness of the first and second phases? Is it the characters? Like, we no longer have the tentpole characters anymore. I think the things you said about Feige, I believe he needs oversight. I think Ike Perlmutter was a bad actor in the most general sense, but I think specifically he pushed. Necessity is the mother of invention. What Feige had under Ike Perlmutter was a necessity. Mm. Also, I think now when we're looking back at phase two, Russo's, James Gunn are always the examples used of pulling indie directors out of nowhere. It shows how rare phase two was. That is now a precious commodity. You can't just do the Marvel way and bring in just rando directors, rando screenwriters. We need to see some sort of precedence. Also, Mm -hmm. I believe that he's had to lean on Victoria Alonso with Louis Esposito. And also we've seen Nate Moore taking more control, who's like one of the vice you know, producers or, or whatever it is, assistant producers, whatever whatever that term is. He was the one that took a lot of the creative oversight for Black Panda, Wakanda Forever. He was present at the premieres. So that's one part of it. The second part is they captured lightning in a bottle and they saw it as their bottle when in actual fact it was just their lightning. Third thing as well as what made Phase 2 and that great run of films successful is that they deviated from superhero films and they made genre films so we had the space opera we had a crime thriller we had you know the heist film with the first ant-man so they were leaning on other genres whereas now we're getting beat by beat marvel films and that can't be acceptable in any way Uh, peyton reed said that he didn't want to be the palette cleanser after the big event anymore he wanted to do an avengers level film well that's all well and good if you can do it the russo is again very rare case you could pretty much see the Russos coming back for Secret Wars, and I really hope that happens. 
there are problems, but that it's not a corner that we that we can't turn at this stage. I think if yeah. this continues into the two Avengers films, then I think we're looking at a studio that would damage that can't be corrected. And I actually think they're really, really lucky that Guardians of the Galaxy is the next film because I'm excited for that. I'm excited for James Gunn. He's only oh, showing right. outside the MCU with his Suicide Squad film with Peacemaker. What an astute and rare commodity he is as a filmmaker. If it wasn't mm-hmm. for that, I mean, we'd probably watch the Marvels. Have you watched Ms. Marvel? Yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah it was good. It was okay. it was good. I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. But same problems that Moon Knight had, same problem that She-Hulk had. It had its rhythm. And then at the end, it needed an action sequence to finish it all off. So you have something yeah. that's based in a different... I mean, She-Hulk, I respect what it tried. And I'm not saying it wasn't without success at all. Only when you have, I won't say failing, but when you have an underperforming studio that has IPs that one after the other on, I mean, Thor Love and Thunder made a loss on its theatrical run. When it's sort of licensed and merchandise, it'll probably break even in the same way that Dwayne Johnson said that Black Adam will make money. Well, it might do in 20 year run on, you know, when network TV gets around to showing it and that sort of thing. Yeah, it might just yeah. be. But at this yeah. moment in time, it hasn't. The plot. I've got a list of things here in my notes, and I don't know. I'll just list them off. Okay. Too many narrative shortcuts, prolonged scenes of exposition. The MCU now has a very repeatable formula where you start with a flashback, and then you have your opening set piece, and then you have the the reaction to the upsetting of the norm that leads to the second set piece, you get yourself into trouble. You don't quite win the f- second one, and it goes into the you know the finale, whereby the hero regains control of the of the plot. But mm-hmm. I don't have any criticism for the opening flashback because that was necessary. What is unnecessary is the the talking head shots. With that in mind, the huge plot hole is Janet Van Dyne. She knew what was there, and I know there's an argument to say there's post traumatic stress. Do veterans want to talk about the war that they've come from in absolute detail? No, of course they don't. However, this is the MCU and it needs a plot that has to hold a certain amount of water. So I find that the post-traumatic stress aspect of it is retroactively assigning Mm -hmm. sense to something that had no sense. She's a scientist primarily. She could have said, we can't go, you know, this is the deal. It's dangerous. I don't want to talk about it, but we 100% cannot access that realm without running it past me. Like, I need to be in control of this thing. You have, we have Shuri, we have Riri Williams, Cassie Lang, another kid genius. Iron Man built this suit with a box of scraps in the cave, and it took him ages to get it up to that nanotech. You have kids that are just fiddling with things and replicating stuff with just absolute ease. It doesn't feel earned. Cassie Lang now being played by... Catherine Newton were absolutely disgusting the way that they jettisoned Emma Thurman. Yeah, maybe the remit was you get a five-minute scene in one of the biggest films about all time, take it or leave it, baby. But no actor should find that they've been replaced the same way that the viewing audience does in an Instagram post. Scandalous. And she did a really, really good job. You felt that there was a relationship between her and and Scott Lang, her, her dad. There was more emotion emotion you could feel as a viewing audience in the five minutes that she had in Endgame than what Catherine Newton Newton. Mm -hmm. And this sort of 
bratty holding your dad account for not doing anything with his powers. He saved the fucking world. He saved the world. He's allowed to take some time off. There's so many heroes. And this kind of bratty, oh, what are you doing now? I got arrested, yeah, for, yeah. Pro- I got arrested for protesting. What are you protesting, <laughs> Dad? You can't get on my back for, you can't oh, turn into Cartman. <laughs> Let's turn into my heart out of there. <laughs> but he is bulletproof of criticism, no matter what he does. And, you know, he's just, you can't, you should be proud of what your dad's involvement was. And every man, a former criminal, his arc is, more condensed than, say, Hawkeye's or, or Natasha Romanoff's yeah. is. This guy was, he volunteered himself into a totally unfamiliar situation within, what, six months of him actually generating powers? He's not trained. He's not militia. He's not a part of any intelligence. He's just a smart guy. Like, yeah. get off his back. And maybe the Emma Thurman character, with the way that she emoted in that scene, to transform her into a well, you know, a little bitch, basically. (laughs) Maybe that's why they thought, no, 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 she's too good at being, like, a sympathetic character. But, yeah, that really, really... That was very annoying. That was very annoying to watch. Yeah, very annoying. And there was far, far too much focus on her. This film, Ant-Man and the Wasp, why Ant-Man and the Wasp? Tell me where the Wasp was. This was just Ant-Man 3 and supporting characters. And with that, there were too many of them if they'd have separated them, if there was like a race against time of Cassie trying to fix her thing on the other side with maybe Janet, because it would have been mm-hmm. more of an odd couple thing, you know, one holding her to account for what she was doing. It starts off like with disagreement, but then that sort of arc is a race against time to save her dad. And her dad is then with Wasp. Wasp gets more screen time. Michael Douglas, who was pretty, pretty darn good in this, to be fair, the, the bits that he did, the cynic, he plays mm-hmm. that very well. And then bring how they disbanded the rest of the supporting cast. That was one of the strongest things about the first two Ant-Man films. Yeah. Make, bring Lewis in. Lewis in totally. there. Lewis is the first person that drops. He gets taken away. And then every so often, with this serious thing, this is how the MCU used to work. Tragedy, cut away a little scene of levity, a little comedic moment. All you see is him sort of ingratiating himself and do the classic trope whereby in the second act, it turns out that he's become the king of their people because he has maybe like one thing on them. And then it turns out in the final act, no, 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 this is just how they prepare you to eat you. They just fatten <laughs> yeah. you up. To, and then Ant-Man sort of bursts through when he's big and sort of accidentally kicks him off the spit, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. you use a Luis or someone like that. And T.I., T.I. was fantastic in the other films. Even if it was T.I., I would love that. Like, yeah. just like, but we had five Ant characters and none of them fulfilled a purpose greater than the others. I really missed Luis in this one. He's one of the things that make, he's like paradigmatic MCU supporting character that made those great movies work. Where's he? You can't write him into this. Like, he's so great. He's like, we need some comedic, mm. some levity. That's the guy. Like, that's the guy. So he oh. could be doing an interview on TV about how he's one of the characters in his book and doing it in the Louis style of a recap to where his boy Scotty is now. Yeah. Even if it was that, it's just so... Because yeah. sh- the outcry for him to do like an Endgame recap or like an Infinity War in-cap, like a <laughs> recap at the beginning. It's, a, it's such a missed opportunity. It's, yeah. It's like they don't understand what they have. Yeah. Yeah. They don't understand what we love. Like everyone loves Luis. 
to not see Luis in an Ant-Man film is like it's like a slap in the face, honestly. Replace the Cassie role, basically. While we're on to this, and I know you loved when I talked about the Eternals and the science behind it. Yes, but yes. Here's the thing that annoyed me the first time. They shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink until they get to a position whereby they're in this minuscule world, right? So that is not even subatomic. It's like sub-sub-subatomic. And they're treating it like they're beaming to a different place. If that's subatomic, how many atoms are in a person? How many atoms are in a grain of salt? So there mm. must be billions of trillions of individual quantum realms on each subatomic level. So what they're not doing is shrinking. They're shrinking to a point whereby they, they drop into another dimension. So they're not actually really, really, really small. They've split space and time by going so small that they then fall into a different dimension. Mm. It's not actually that they are really, really small. Because if they're saying that they are really, really small then there must be billions upon trillions of different quantum realms, but like the number of subatomic, subatomia, if that's a word. Do you know what I'm saying? How does that even work? E in either case, how is there breathable air? How is everybody nutrition? Why is everybody still equivocally humanoid? How is the relative gravity to our world? The bigger the planet or the mass, the bigger the gravity. How is mm. gravity equivalent? Or when they press their uh, nanotech Ant-Man suits, does that adjust for the relative gravity? Also, the relative size of all the beings. Like, how come they don't drop in somewhere where everything's avatar-sized? Or why is everybody not little tiny midgets? That's one of the things with, like, aliens. If aliens came to this planet, they're all roughly our size. But why isn't their ship, like, landing on Manhattan? Why is it, or even America? They may come from a much bigger planet whereby they're all bigger and their muscles are bigger. Like, it's mm -hmm. just all these tiny little things. It just, it annoys me watching it. And it's too much to just buy into. It's not a plot for, but they're things that I need answers to. And this is the Eternals thing. In the same way, when, what's it, um, Verishim or whatever his name is, appears on the planet, it would mm -hmm. take the Earth and the Moon out of its orbit. All the tides would be gone. The water would all be floating in space because it pulled towards him. The science of how Ant-Man works, it seems multiple choice. You're tiny, but you have the full force of a big man. So when he's big, why doesn't he punch like a pussy hole? And also, yeah. if he retains his mass going through the subatomica, the gravitational weight of him inside all those subatomic particles would yeah. be universe-ending in this... It would be the opposite of the Big Bang. Yeah, you know, when yeah. all of the universe's mass was on a was on a this something the size of the top of a pin, and then it yeah. expanded into this within nanoseconds, that would be the reverse physical gravitational pull. Once he crossed the precipice of, of mass relative to his surroundings, it would be world-ending, universe-ending, maybe even multiverse-ending. In an instance, you can't even think about the smallest amount of time. As an engineer, obviously, it's going to bear more weight for me, but stuff that just let me know. Let me know. Give me an explanation and move on because I know mm -hmm. the film has to happen. Do you know what I mean? The film has to happen. <laughs> the film has to fucking happen, Tim. It has to. You can't go, well, it's going to be an engineer out there who's got a, a little bit of a, a bit of an appreciation of 
uh, <laughs> applied mathematics <laughs> to keep that one sulky fucker happy. <laughs> oh no, I understand the film has to happen, but it's it's frustrating for me because it takes me out of the film. Yeah, I, I mean, yes, I have nothing to add to that, but wow. I never thought, I mean, I, I was very curious about your, your uh, thoughts on the... Well, I feel like we've identified all the... Or the misgivings and failures of uh, of people that are paid on by reputation adequately <laughs> to do a better job than me or you. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's um, let's flip this now onto the casting characters. This kind of felt like Ant Man was wrongly cast in his own film. This wasn't best fulfilled by Ant Man, despite mm-hmm. the fact we know he has the quantum technology. But let's be Let's be realsies about this. And whatever iteration the Avengers are in now, they have all the technology that Pym does to win Endgame. So this technology is out there now. Now the multiverse isn't restricted and we don't have to follow that critical path. The Avengers have all the abilities that can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just felt awkward that this was an Ant Family film. Yeah, why is it like, why is this an Ant Man film? For like the layperson, obviously, like, well, it's a small realm. You got to have the guy who like be small or whatever. But yeah, I agree with that. It's in the broader context of the Avengers, the MCU. It's why, why, why is this his like singular duty? And that's yeah. one of the things that I felt would have served this a lot better. If they'd have split the teams, Terra Firma and Subatomica, they would have to have, they would have simply had to have been, you know, in phase two, the whole thing was, well, why can't we just call the Avengers? Oh no, Hulk's off world. We don't know where Thor is. It seems like they've just abandoned even trying to do it now. We have so many heroes. Like, well, yeah. surely there's somebody that we could call to help out with it or send in. Like, we're in the shit, dude. And all the the danger of the quantum realm had gone. Don't get stuck down there. Don't hit a time vortex. Don't hit the, um, not carpet bears, water bears or whatever. The little creatures. Yeah. It feels like it was all just abandoned for plot. And obviously you have to do that, but... The scene where they get pulled in, it's like, okay, so you're telling me you're, you're the scientists who have been in the quantum realm for like generations and you don't know, like they didn't tell you about this device. You don't know what this is. Like you're all like standing around it and she's like, what's this? Yeah, back the fuck up for just one second yeah. before anyone presses anything or you grab it and just yeah. break it and yeah. then explain. They already sent somebody down there to rescue her. Nobody's curious where she went to. Nobody's, if Modok had the power to reopen that device, then they've always had the shrinking capability. Like the, the capability has been shrunk and shrunk and shrunk like televisions had. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they get bigger, but they also get thinner. They get more powerful, yeah. but they also get smaller. That's basically, Modox had the power to tap into any of those devices during the course of the Ant-Man IP. Didn't do it. Why was he pulling them in? Why? Why specifically then? You can't tell me that when the end battle of Endgame was occurring, when the end game was occurring, that maybe he thought, well, maybe this is an opportunity when they're all... Yeah, they're on one spot, like, yeah. Yeah, it's all canonically ill-fitting. Oh, yeah, another very small thing that annoyed me was, I don't know if it's because Michelle Pfeiffer is just so... just stinks of fits. Like, she is impossibly attractive for her age. I Mm. I honestly thought that they've corrected this little foible by de-aging her, but it, I think it just turns out, like I said, she's just so aggressively attractive <laughs> that she looks so... <laughs> How come she aged linearly, but Scott Lang didn't, which gave him the idea for time travel in Endgame? 
we just need some rules. We just need some rules that I can work with. And I know, again, the film doesn't happen or whatnot. We just have to roll with it. But during almost the whole execution of this, it posed more questions than it gave me answers. Can you think of examples where a question like that had to be answered and was answered in a way that that's narratively satisfying? Like, I'm wondering how they would do it without like aggressive exposition. But the whole film is aggressive exposition. If they'd have just said, we were on the precipice of a time vortex, I had to stay outside the city so Kang wouldn't fire me. Even in a scene where we have access to Janet in that position, she could, we have to go, the Pym Tech's acting up, we're on the verge of being sucked into a time vortex, we have to go, something like that. I'm not the writer. No, clearly, <laughs> no, not, yeah. There was ideas butting heads, jutting heads. Mm -hmm. It's like rubbing your two fists together. The hardness of the knuckles and the softness of the skin. And it's not very often that it feels like the softness of the skin on both hands is touching each other, despite mm -hmm. the fact it makes up the most proportion of a fist mm -hmm. to the biggest. Um, I, I don't want to go into MODOK, look look ridiculous. Um, we'll see what they were so trying strange. to do. It is what it is. The close-ups on the face, I thought were like, I was like, is this serious? What is yeah. going on here? It's very weird. Bizarre, but there was a number of characters in this, and I'll include Cassie Lang, Bill Murray's character, whoever that was, Modoc, that just simply did not need to be in this film. We didn't need yeah. five bank characters. It would have been better if half the film was Scott and Hank showing that their their relationship is stronger now compared to the other film, and them being each other's crutch while they find themselves to the nearest citadel. And then you have a almost like a survival in a dune landscape, something like that. And you have like the sandworms and all that kind of crap, and you make it big and epic. That is something that they could have done. Then you have the silliness with Luis that cuts in with, mm. with, the, with the seriousness. You have a comedic character in a comedic situation. That trope's played out with Hank and, and Scott. So that would have been a really good way to, to embed their relationship into it. And also... On terra firma, Janet and Cassie could have been at ends with each other at the beginning because of how mm -hmm. stupid it was to do that unsupervised. That Then by the end of it, they have a bond as well. And she's like, oh, I see a lot of you and me when I was separated from Hank. And there could have been that contradiction between a new couple getting to know each other that are a little bit at odds because of the events that preceded it. And then you had a solidified relationship whereby they're helping each other on and you know they have the mutual respect. I didn't feel like there was any strong themes going through this. The whole thing at the beginning earned that look in your daughter's eye when, you know, that look that your daughter already has. It was made prominent. However, they did the whole acting out, silly teenager thing, but it never really played out. He <laughs> sacrifices the multiverse for his daughter, but mm he's -hmm. so on the nose, predictable. One of the things that this movie, having been through it, talking it through with you like one of the things that this movie lacks that some of the best ones have and even some of the like like ant-man had the louise character one of the things that the best ones have is just they drop in a character that has no powers and is not central to the plot of the movie so their destiny does not the, the movie's result does not depend on anything that they do examples yeah. of this louise Darcy, another good example of this, was their avatars for the audience. And they're very good at observing like how crazy things are. Darcy, like with the hammer, she's just like all on that, how bizarre it is. They're very useful in pointing out scale and scope and how strange things are. That that yeah. This movie especially could have used that because they're in an entire different 
world building situation. Yeah, Jimmy Woo's another one. And maybe it is fatigue, maybe, maybe it's lethargy, maybe it's yeah. the expectation now isn't there. So it's almost fulfilling the negative expectation, despite the yeah. fact we earnestly do want them to be well, that as soon as the first thing in the film's gone, you go, oh, fucking hell, here we go again. Here we go again. Fucking out, man. But I've said it before and I'll say it again. All the succeeding films have done has just made me appreciate Eternals one hell of a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. So, Ken, he's supposed to be, well, he is the residing negative force throughout three phases of MCU films. And he's twice been extinguished quite easy. It was kind of clever that his suit was the thing that was powered and restricted. So he was using mostly kicks to start within the battle, which I thought was a clever detail. And then when the arms are gone and the, the suit's broken, he uses more of his arms. I cannot believe for one iota that powered or depowered, that he isn't going to brutalize Scott Lang in any situation. The guy's training for Creed 3, for fuck's sake. This guy <laughs> right. is a warrior. He has that quiet reserve that's more threatening than a garrulous intent. He yeah, is yeah. he is hauntingly taciturn. And there's a nobility that comes with that as well. But then when he's physical, there is genuine fear with it. This film should have ended with one of them being stuck there with Cat. You know, I don't have to win, we both have to lose. And that was the original ending. Two of them should have been stuck down there, or, or one of them. Now, I don't know how narratively that can thread into the succeeding films. However, nothing in this film felt earned. We see in the post credit scenes that he was exiled as the most dangerous, if not physically dangerous, but the most dangerous to the ethics of the Council of Kangs. Mm -hmm. So we've set him up as being one bad motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. But he just gets taken. We've had He Who Remains at the end of the Loki series, where he was actually an actor for good, that he was keeping the multiverse on a critical path. So we didn't have the multiverse. So any strains were extinguished. Kang's, versions of Kang, could not start a war. And as it turns out, Kang the Conqueror was conquering worlds that had splintered from the critical path timeline. He was conquering worlds where there would be a bad actor, extinguishing them before another Kang was available for the Council of Kangs on their conquest of multiversal domination. In each that we've seen, it's been the reveal that actually he's an actor for good, and then the heroes have made poor decisions to the detriment of the multiverse. Yes, yeah. The, the status quo was all they needed to respect. Well, I just think it was a mistake for the reasons you've described with the conclusion that they defeat this Kang. They had now dispatched two of them pretty easily. And so it reduces the threat level. Like how bad is this bad guy really? He's like yeah. pretty much easily defeated. I completely agree. They should have left him and another character down there together. And let's not forget Deus and Machino as well. Inspecting the science of that. Evolution, which, by the way, I don't believe in. I don't believe in creation, but I just think there's too many holes in it. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not accurate. I'm just saying I need a little bit more explanation. We've got every museum, the length and breadth of the Western world's got a fucking dinosaur in it, but yet we have a missing link. <laughs> you find that link and I'll believe you, baby. <laughs> Similarly, ants aren't going to evolve over 10,000 years or 5,000 years. They're not going to become pseudo 
intellectual. And also, why haven't they evolved physically? The mental evolution only comes with the physical capacity. And if you're saying that, well, the ants are bigger, so they have a bigger brain, fair enough. Also, also, here's the thing, right? Insects, I imagine ants are insects, they don't have lungs. They absorb oxygen through their skin. So there's a surface area to volume ratio that would basically, when you pass that ratio, you'd suffocate because they don't have enough skin to Mm -hmm. absorb oxygen for their body weight. Those ants are well past that ratio without going into any numbers because I've done that. <laughs> Not been able to provide it. Being the cocky fucker that I am. But yeah, basically, it's why, you know, like if you spray a moth with hairspray, because I've got motophobia, it basically suffocates. I didn't know that. I just thought it would got a bit sticky and then you throw it out the window and it will live on. Turns out, no, okay, I, was, okay. I was murdering moths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I know that's science that doesn't work. But on something that is so... The whole thing is a scientifically intellectual exercise of the mcu you can't just attach quantum to the front of everything and acknowledging that you only attach quantum to the first of anything does not get you out of jail and what are they breathing down there because like isn't oxygen too big i don't know i don't know you'd have to like eat it you'd have to like get inside the molecule and just kind of like suck it up while you're inside the molecule at that point or maybe that's the way the ants and that's why insects in prehistoric days the age of the dinosaurs. Oh, that's another thing with evolution, right? Dinosaurs are around for about 200 million years. Years or something like that. They never evolved past fucking dinosaurs. Yeah. But we've been here for about, what, 250,000 years. And we, we're like the most intellectual, intellectually perfectly advanced human race. Why did the dinosaurs start? Like, you can't tell me the, the randomness of evolution or, or were they just an apex predator so everything got chopped? Eat, like, I don't get it. Like there, there were holes in evolution. <laughs> oh my God. Breaking news. <laughs> so that challenges evolution. So, so um, when you look at, that's why the insects were so much bigger in those days. Cause the, the atmosphere was so much more oxygen rich because obviously there oh. wasn't CO2 and that sort of thing. So, so you could have insects the size of this table and, and living. And I know you should just be able to let the film watch over you. But again, as an engineer, someone that works in applied maths, I'm generally a curious person when it comes to this sort of stuff. It just, it takes me out of it too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Rick and Morty never does that. Never does that. Never. And it is science fiction. But the important thing is it's equal parts science and fiction. This is just fiction. Did you like John? Did you like Majors as Kang? Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah he's the, really good. Brilliant. Menacing. Yeah, totally. Direct purposeful yeah and that quiet aggression that's the aggression that you have to be careful the dude that don't doesn't need to show how powerful he is because you totally you just don't fuck with that person yeah yeah i mean he's one of the i don't even think you call him an up-and-comer anymore if anything comes out of this it's just enhanced his reputation as opposed to the mcus absolutely yeah they have a good villain it could go well going forward they have a great villain would you send someone to the movie? Uh, I would say to fans of the studio that they should go. But if it's someone that's a casual, wait till Disney Plus, I'd tell them to wait till Disney Plus. Yeah, same, same. Did you see it in 3D or 2D? Well, I saw it in 2D. I was going to go and see 3D, but things have just been... Yeah, work's been busy. But yeah, I just didn't have the time to go back and watch it in 3D. Yeah, yeah. I've heard different things. I've heard from one person it makes it better and i've heard somebody else that says it was almost nauseating i thought it made it 
Well, I haven't seen it two D, so I can't say whether it's better or not. But I, I, I thought it was well done the three D in this. My dad said they utilized both depth and projection in it. That things were coming out to. Yeah, totally. I think that made it an experience for me that was that made the universe not as obviously fabricated. I thought there was some yeah, like depth yeah, yeah. to it, so I, I would recommend seeing it if you're going to see it again in three D. I'll probably give it a go. It's annoying now. Marvel have stopped releasing them on 3D Blu-rays, so I'm done, so, mate. Got nothing more to add. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm good. I, I'm all out of grumpy. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, just as well, because that lasted a lot longer than I was expecting. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, that's fun. Thank fuck we'd already spoken to Leslie to death to death because it was supposed to be <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. we scheduled to move on to another movie but yeah. Yeah. good grief can you imagine <laughs> what a preposterous <laughs> state of affairs <laughs> but I we should say everyone should see two Leslie it's a great movie yeah everyone should see two Leslie it's great it's making me rooting for it's making me root for her for the Oscar I, I love that I love yeah 100% enough. right then Tim let's say goodbye to everyone do you want to go first yeah, goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to us. And we appreciate you. We appreciate all of you. So, yes. 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 And goodbye from me. Also, I am Tim's co host, Matt. And as I said, you can find us on all your favorite platforms. The end of the score pod, as usual. That only leaves me one thing to say. We have been, and this is. The end. <laughs> wow. Good. Yeah. Whoa.